Special thank you to Wes Hartsook for lighting our Advent candle of peace this morning. Thank you, Wes. Uh, good morning. If you're here online or whether you're here in person, a special welcome to you. So glad that you are with us here at the chapel as we continue to walk through Advent and we'll look at the topic of peace today. But before we do that, I want to celebrate a few things and then tell you what's happening here at the chapel. First of all, I want to celebrate all of the OCC, Operation Christmas Child boxes uh, that you had brought in. At three campuses, we brought in 1,868 boxes this season, which is incredible. Amen to that. It's not about how many we bring in. It's more about how many kids this Christmas are going to have an even better Christmas because now they at least have a gift to open. And not just a physical gift, but in those boxes is the hope of Christ that hopefully they discover this Christmas as well. I also want to celebrate a milestone this month, or excuse me, this weekend is Pastor Dave and Donna's 20th year celebration at the chapel. How faithful they have been. Can we just say thank you to them? They are sitting right there. I see them. They're trying to hide, but you can't hide from us. So grateful that Dave uh, unretired and came back and continues to serve as a pastor here. And Donna's influence with women's studies along the way over the last 20 years. I mean, if you haven't been touched by them, I, them, I hope you do someday because they've helped my life. And I know many in this room as well. But I want to just tell you a couple things coming up. Uh, speaking of Pastor Dave, Pastor Dave and Pastor Todd will be teaching this class on forgiveness next Saturday, the 10th from 9.30 to 11.30. And I know for all of us, we've had to deal with trying to forgive someone that has hurt us. And sometimes it's really easy to forgive somebody. And yet other times we hold grudges and we don't know how to forgive people because they've hurt us so badly. So if you want to learn more about how to forgive others and what God's forgiveness means for your life and how to extend that to other people, we would love to have you for this class next Saturday, 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. You can go to our website to register or you can just text the word forgiveness to that number on the screen and we would love to have you. It's hard to believe in three weeks from today... Three weeks from today, how is that possible? It's Christmas Day, and we love to celebrate Christmas Eve at the chapel. All of these services are the same service, just different times. We have Christmas Eve Eve on the 23rd at 6 p.m., and then 12, 1.33, and 4.30 on the 24th. Services last just a little under an hour, so hopefully that helps you plan out your Christmas festivities and plans. And uh, just to let you know, the 25th, we will not have service because of the services before that. And then the weekend after is New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And we've decided to just close our doors and allow our families and friends and, and loved ones and volunteers just to have a weekend off. We go 52 weeks a year and just to have that one weekend to be together. But Pastor Todd recorded a great message and we'll put that out to you so you can still worship at home. But no services in person on that weekend. Finally, when you walked in, hopefully uh, you received an annual report. If not, we have these available to you. This is my favorite thing that the chapel puts out each year. And the reason I love it is because as I look through these pages, I just see the faithfulness of God. You look back and just see all the things that have happened inside and outside the walls. And so I really challenge you to take this home. There's a lot of pictures, which is 
I like. Not a lot of words, more pictures than, than words, but just to see what God is doing at the chapel and what he's done in 2022 and we hope continues in 2023. And um, just like any nonprofit at this time, if you want to give an, uh, uh, an end of the year gift to the chapel, that's on page five. Uh, but everything else is hopefully going to encourage you and how the Lord has worked at the chapel. So make sure to look at this, all right? Now I want to ask you a question this morning. Can you imagine what life would be if we lived in a Christmas Hallmark movie? How many of you have seen a Christmas Hallmark movie? And guys, you better raise your hand if you have before. Admit it. Some of you are like, I'm not going to raise my hand, but I know that I have. Listen, I am a chick flick fan. In fact, I think I like them more than my wife. I like how that all works out in the end. And Here's what living life in a Hallmark Christmas movie would look like. This sounds amazing. For instance, no one is ever cold. Did you ever notice that? Like everyone is in this movie. It's a winter movie. It's snowing and it's freezing cold, but no one's cold. They just wear a sweater. Everyone looks great. No one has to wear this heavy coat that we wear here. And the snow is always the perfect consistency. Did you ever notice that? In fact, it's the perfect consistency to give a snowball fight, and then, which always ends with giggling as the perfect love song plays in the background. Did you ever notice that they're just throwing snow at each other? They're laughing. The love song plays. I mean, it's just this beautiful moment, right? Life in a Hallmark movie. Or there's always hot chocolate available on every street corner, although no one really drinks it. They just walk around with it. You'll notice that they get hot chocolate. They're on a date, but they never drink it. And I'm always wondering, like, what's really in those cups? Is there hot chocolate? Isn't there? But it's always available if they ever want it, even though no one drinks it. And of course, when they walk in, the house looks perfect. Everyone's jobs are perfect. The children are perfect. And in the end, everyone lives happily ever after, and everything is at peace. This is what it would mean to live in a Hallmark movie every single day of your life. But that's not real life, is it? Especially winters in Ohio. It's very different. For instance, living in Ohio means scraping inches of ice off your windshields like you and I had to do this morning, and you're not able to feel your fingers or toes either. I was outside greeting this morning. I'm not kidding you. I still can't feel my fingers. (laughs) Winters in Ohio are terrible. And speaking of snow, the snow rarely packs nicely. You know how you're so excited you see the snow, you go out there and it just goes through your hands. And even if it does, if you hit your loved one with a snowball, they will not giggle playfully. It will turn into a massive fight and you won't talk to each other for days. I'm not saying this happened in my household. I'm just saying I've heard that this happens in people's households, right? And when you make hot chocolate at home, at least one kid spills it on the floor or on themselves or both and. Here's how I know this. This is not anecdotal. This is true facts. The other day, my kids discovered that over by our K-cups that we have hot chocolate. And all of a sudden, one of our kids said, Mom, Dad, can we make hot chocolate? And I immediately yelled out, no. (laughs) And Paul is like, Eric, why do you have to say no? I'm like, listen, I know how this works. It looks so great when they're putting it in their mug, and we have, you know, stirs that are candy canes. I'm just telling you, there will be more on the floor or on our kids than they drink. And sure enough, afterwards, I went over there, and I looked, and it was a war zone. It looked like, they literally looked like they threw hot chocolate on each other. I mean, that's real life, right? 
And speaking of real life, the house is always a wreck, at least ours is. Jobs are very stressful, and kids are kids. Speaking of peace, what's that? (laughs) And it's true, though, isn't it? I mean, living in a Christmas Hallmark movie, it's beautiful, and everyone's at peace, and you live happily ever after. But when you live in this world, it is hard to find peace. Even when life is going well, have you noticed underneath the surface of your life, there's still a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of uncomfortability, a little bit of something doesn't feel right. Why is that? And is it possible to actually discover peace in this real life with everything that we have going on in this world? Well, that's the question I want to pose to you. As we continue in Advent, we looked at hope last week, and today we're looking at peace. And we're going to look at a group of people, the Israelites, who were desperate for peace as well, and how God told them how they can have peace. And today, when you leave, I want to give you some practical ways that you can apply this to your life, where that no matter what's happening on the outside or even on the inside, you can have peace. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. I want to tell you in Isaiah 24 and 25, as you're looking at those chapters, you're seeing that things are not well. God's people have been unfaithful to him. There are different wars going on amongst God's people internally, but also externally, as different groups are fighting the Israelites. This is part of God's judgment as things have not been going well for the Israelites. And then we get to Isaiah 26, and there's a prophecy, a prophecy of what it will look like one day. And here's what it says. And when we get to verse 3, I would love for you to read it out loud with me. In that day, everyone in the land of Judah will sing this song. Our city is strong. We are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Open the gates to all who are righteous. Allow the faithful to enter. Read this with me. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Just like I was saying before, in that day, they're looking to a day. Honestly, they're looking to the day where the Messiah comes and he rules and then he reigns. For the Israelites, they've always heard of the promised Messiah that will finally come and be the king. And they are looking to that day. And as they look to that day, they can sing a song that contains these words. Our city is strong. We are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. They're looking to a time where the Messiah rules and reigns. And no matter what goes on the outside of the world, within is God's active mercy, active grace, active peace, active salvation happening within the walls. And as a result of that, no matter what is happening on the outside, on the inside, because the Messiah rules and reigns, things are as they ought to be. Things are at peace. Now, we're looking to a day like that, but for us, that is possible for us today because they're looking for the Messiah to come. Well, the Messiah came. And though He is not fully in charge, meaning we know we have a long way to go. We live in this broken world. Eventually, he will rule and reign fully. But he has come, and he has established his kingdom here. And because he has done that, we still can have this peace that is found in Emmanuel, God with us. And the 
the writer Isaiah here tells us how to have this kind of peace. Peace within, no matter what's going on on the outside. You see, for the Israelites, their circumstances were different from ours, but the way they interpret those circumstances are similar. They had a lot of fear. They had a lot of worry. They had a lot of anxiety. They didn't know what was going to happen in their future. They didn't know how people would respond to them. Were they going to attack them or not? Just like you and I feel those same things. It's the reason why we wake up in the morning, and even though, like I said before, things are good, it doesn't always feel good. Or things on the outside of our lives are outside of our control, and we're not sure how to really truly discover that peace. But just like Isaiah says, here is what it can look like for you Israelites someday. Here's what it can look like for us today. And so Isaiah lays this out. He says this in verse 3. You, he's referring to God here. It's as if he is saying, you will help them keep in perfect peace. It's interesting that Isaiah talks about God as the source of peace. Because in our culture, it's different, isn't it? We all know in our culture that things on the outside are unsettled. Circumstances change on a daily basis. We don't know what's going to happen. And so the message in our culture is this. You can't control the outside, but you can control what's on the inside. Look for that peace. It's within you. Find it. Discover it. Live from within and then let it come without. The problem with that, though, is that leads to more anxiety. Because you're trying to find within this peace that you can't manufacture. You're trying to find this peace and you're looking for it and you're looking for it. But you're thinking to yourself, I can't find it and it's making me more worried, more anxious. I can't find it on the outside. I can't find it within. And Isaiah says, no, you can't find it within. You can't find it on the outside. It has to come from a different outside source. The source of peace, who is peace himself, whom is God. God is the source of peace. He is the peace that we discover, not in our circumstances, not within, but it comes from a different source altogether. Our God, who is Emmanuel, who is God with us. He came to live amongst us, to give us his peace. And it says here that you will keep in perfect peace. In the Hebrew, the word peace there is shalom. But if you read this in Hebrew, it literally says shalom, shalom. Peace, peace. In fact, Spurgeon, he puts it this way. Shalom is the Hebrew way of expressing emphatic peace, true and real peace, double peace, peace of great depth and vast extent. If you want to know where this kind of peace is in the scriptures, go all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. God created everything and everything was good and everything was working as it ought it was shalom. It was whole. Everything was functioning perfectly. And the reason for that was God was in their midst. And they felt this double peace, the shalom, shalom, that everything is okay. And even though we look at the landscape of our life and not everything is okay and never will anything always be good because life is hard and it's messy and it's dark and people have an axe to grind oftentimes, and sometimes they, uh, they sharpen their axe on us. 
There's a lot of things we can't control. We can't control people. We can't control our circumstances. And we live in a messy, broken world, but that doesn't mean you can't have peace. Peace. In fact, let me put it this way. If you are looking for peace when life is good, you will never find it. For peace is not the absence of pain, but the presence of God. Let me say that again. Peace doesn't come when life is good and everything is finally settled. Peace is not found in the absence of pain or chaos or trouble. No, it is found in the presence of God, the source for which he gives us peace whenever we want it, if we cling to him. Now, if he is the source of peace, the question now is, how can you and I discover that? How can you and I have peace when we leave this room? How can we have peace when we wake up tomorrow? How can we have peace when life falls apart? How can we have peace when things aren't always working the way we should? How can we have peace when things don't go our way? There is a way. Look at the rest of Isaiah 26.3 with me. It says, you will keep in perfect peace. And here's how you can have it. All who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. God is the source of peace. He will give you shalom, shalom, peace, peace. He is the source of that. He freely gives it. But we have a response to that too. We have to grasp onto it. We have to put ourselves in a position to get that peace from God. And Isaiah says there's two ways to do it. The pathway to perfect peace has to do with two T's, our trust and our thoughts. If we can get our trust and our thoughts in a position where they are coming from a place where they're directed towards God, then you and I can have peace, 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 the fullest extent that God has for you. So he says the perfect peace comes from trust. I want to give you a litmus test on how you can tell if you're truly putting your trust in God or not. When you and I feel anxiety, and I'm not talking about the kind of anxiety that comes with certain mental illnesses or other diagnosed from, from, from medical professionals. That's not the kind of anxiety I'm talking about. I'm talking about circumstantial anxiety, okay? I'm talking about when we just feel like we can't settle. We always feel like something's kind of off. We just can't sit down at all. We just have to keep going. We don't feel like our soul is ever at rest. Do you know how you know that something other than God has your trust? Because even though you change everything on the, on the surface, you still feel a sense of unsettledness and unrest. So that's why you need to go, whatever is causing this up here, whether it's anger, frustration, anxiety, fear, worry, whatever that is, you, you look at that and then you, take, you travel all the way down to the source, the foundation of where that is. And when you discover it, you realize This is the source of where your trust really is. To trust in something is to put your whole faith into something. 
is to find your worth and value in something. Is to find your whole purpose and meaning in something. That you want this thing more than any other things. It's the foundation of your life. It's what you're building everything else on. And it's oftentimes so hidden you don't even know it. And the only way you can really discover it is to see on the top here, something's not right. I need to go all the way down to discover why. And you realize that it's not God. Because I'm just telling you, if God was the source of your peace, no matter what your circumstances are, you'll still feel peace. But if he's not, and even if life is good, you still won't feel peace. And so what is usually down here that we trust in or lean upon or put our whole worth in? Usually it's three different things. Now there's more, but usually there's three categories. One, it's other people. Whether it's a relationship that you really want or it's a spouse that you're finding all of your hope and value in or whether it's someone at work that you are trying to bank on to give you a promotion or just a friend that you have found your whole value and worth in, or whatever it is, you find it in a person. The problem with that is people disappoint you. People are never meant to be your God. People can't hold the weight of that. And because they disappoint you, or they don't always come through for you, or whatever that is, it leads to anxiety. It leads to fear. It leads to worry. It feels, to, it feels unsettled. It could be a person. Oftentimes, it's the future. We put our hope and worth in our bank accounts. We put our hope and worth in a future kind of status or how we look. We put our hope and value in someone who will get elected or not. We put our hope and value in, hopefully I'm living here and I have this kind of house and this kind of life and I'm wherever I'm supposed to be in my career. But then you travel all the way up and you start to realize how unsettled you feel. How you feel like, but what if that doesn't happen? Or what if this person gets elected? Or what if I don't have this? Or what if I don't have that? And it leads to so much anxiety. Or, and to me this is the big one, the person that we usually trust more than God is ourselves. And usually when it comes to ourselves, it can feel like it's actually God. Here's what I mean by that. Here's how you know if you're trusting God or yourself. You're putting your hope in an answer to prayer and not the source of who God is. So you're saying to yourself, God, I want this to happen. If it doesn't happen, you're left disappointed, you're left frustrated, you're left being angry with God. You have not put your hope in God, even though you think you have. You've actually put your hope in yourself because you've become God and you're telling God, I want it to be this, 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 and this. And if it doesn't, well, then life really stinks. Oftentimes, our view of God has nothing to do with the Bible and all to do with how we project God and how we want him to be. We want him to be controlled. We want him to answer prayer. We want him to to do whatever we want him to do. We're really God, not him. And when that is the source of your life, it leads to a lot of unrest. That's why Isaiah says, if you want peace, then the source of your life, the one that you lean upon, the one you trust in, the one that has to have, it gives you your worth and value, the one that won't disappoint you, the one that when you just lean upon him and fall upon him, he will never 
give up on you or be broken underneath the weight of your faith. That's how you can have peace if he is the source of your trust. I love how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 27. He says, some nations boast of their chariots and horses, but we boast in the name of our Lord. Those nations will fall down and collapse, but we will rise up and stand firm. The psalmist is saying, look, a lot of people, they put their hopes in a lot of different things. But then in the end, they fall down and collapse. The thing they put their hope in, it collapses right underneath of them. It was never meant to hold them. A person's not meant to hold you. Your future endeavors are not supposed to hold you. Yourself is not supposed to hold you up. If you do, it will fall down and collapse right under you. But if you put your whole hope in the Lord and your trust in the Lord, you will rise up and be firm. That no matter what comes against you, you won't be moved. See, when life is really bad and you put your hope in God and, your pe- and he becomes your sense of peace, then you can stand firm. Nothing can move you. But even if life is really good and you don't, it will eventually disappoint you, turn its back on you, and you will left, be left feeling broken picking up the pieces of your life. It's why the psalmist in Psalm, 9, Psalm 91 two says, this I declare about the Lord. He is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God. And I trust in him. A refuge is a place that you go for safety. That no matter what's happening on the outside, what's within, the sense of peace, hope, love, joy, And that if you build your life upon God and you trust him, you put your faith in him, you put your hope in him, you you derive your worth and value from him, he will always keep you safe no matter what is happening on the outside or even on the inside of your life. If you want peace, peace, he must be the source. And some of you in this room, maybe you're newer to church, you're newer to faith, you've really never heard this before, you didn't know what Jesus has come to do for you, that he came to this world to live a perfect life because you and I never could, and that he died on the cross for our sin and our shame and our guilt, death itself. Three days later, he rises again to defeat sin and death forever, to promise us eternal life, not just after the grave, but peace here now. You've never heard that, you never put your trust in the Lord, I want to do that with you today. All you have to do is just pray with me what I'm about to pray and I would love to talk with you or Pastor Dave afterwards just to tell you how you can follow Jesus. But if you're here today and you're like, yeah, I'm always disappointed. I never have peace. I've never had it my whole life even though my life is fine. It's because it comes from God himself and he wants to offer that to you today. So just pray with me. Lord Jesus, I have put my trust in everything else but you. I've put my trust in people. I've put my trust in my career. I've put my trust in politics, my bank account, the future. And everything leaves me disappointed. Everything leaves me with anxiety and fear and worry. My heart is never settled. And so, Lord, today, I want to follow you. I want to put my trust in you. I want to live my life in such a way where I build it upon you so I can discover that eternal peace. 
Thank you for Jesus for doing for me what I never could do for myself. In Christ's name, amen. If that's you today, come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Dave. We would love to tell you how to follow Jesus. It's not just praying a prayer. It's following Jesus and putting your trust in him. But it's not just our trust, right? The pathway to perfect peace has to do with our trust and our thoughts. Now, when you trust in Jesus, that should begin to change your thought life. It should begin to think about the Lord and to see things not as you see it or how the world sees it, but how does God see it? And oftentimes that can happen. But over time, when you follow Jesus and you trust him, but your thoughts don't follow, your thoughts can begin to erode your trust. I love what Craig, uh, Craig Rochelle here says in this passage. He says, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think shapes who we are. Wherever your thought life is going, your life is going. What you think about yourself, what you think about others, and what you think about God is a result of your thought life. And if your thoughts about God are not consistently fixed upon him, then it will begin to erode your trust and you will slowly but surely drift from God and you will wonder why you feel this anxiety that you haven't felt before. If you don't believe me, let me tell you about a guy named Peter. Do you remember when Jesus is walking on water towards him and he says to Peter, Peter, why don't you come out to me? And Peter's like, you are crazy. <laughs> you are God, I am not. I can't do this. And Peter says, or God says, just trust in me, Jesus. Says, just trust in me. Keep your eyes on me and you can walk on water. So he puts his trust in Jesus. His thoughts follow. His thoughts are like, okay, I think I can do this. Jesus says I can. Okay, I know I can do this. And he begins to walk on water. Trust leads to thoughts about Jesus that leads to what God wants him to do in that moment. But what happens? Peter starts to sink because his thoughts change. His thoughts start to be about, I can't do this. I'm walking on water. I'm freaking out. Look at everything around me. I shouldn't be doing this. And he begins to sink. And because he begins to sink, his trust in God is eroded and he is starting to go to the bottom until finally Jesus says, get up. What happened here? Have you ever noticed that you may have put your trust in Jesus, but your thoughts aren't on him anymore? They're on your circumstances, or they're on different things in your life, and it has eroded your trust in the Lord. That's why so many of us are Christ followers, but we have the same kind of anxiety as non-Christ followers, because even though we've put our trust in him, our thought life is not on him anymore. It's on different things. And it begins to erode our trust. You know, personally, I've been going through that. I haven't been in the scriptures as much as I want to be. My prayer life has been stale. I haven't been doing the spiritual disciplines like I normally do. And the spiritual disciplines aren't to earn favor with God, but it puts you in a place to receive what God has for you. And it's just been really bad lately. But to be honest, I've ignored it. I've lived in my own strength. My thoughts have been on other things and not on the Lord, and I didn't realize how much it eroded my trust in him. Until the other night, I tried to go to sleep. I couldn't sleep. 
And sometimes I have trouble sleeping, but eventually I can fall asleep. I didn't sleep a wink that day. I finally got up because I couldn't sleep. It was way earlier than I ever had. I didn't even know that time existed in the world, but it does. And I went down and I opened the scriptures. I opened it up to Philemon. I just read Philemon. And I opened it up to a devotion I've been reading. I've been reading this other book about what it means to be a pastor. And the Lord broke through in a really clear way. And I realized in that moment, even though I trust in the Lord, I really do. I believe in him and I trust in him. My thought life has been on anything but him. And how much that eroded my trust. And yet, as I was sinking to the bottom, the Lord allowed me not to sleep so he can pull me out and say, Eric, it's time to put your thoughts back on me so my trust is at the center of your life so you can continue to build your life upon me. And it has truly been transforming. And I say that to you. You can judge me if you want. That's fine. But I am a pastor. I'm not better than you. I am on the same wavelength as you. And if you are here and you haven't been in the scriptures in a while, and you haven't been praying in a while, you haven't been doing those things, and you feel like, man, I don't have this anxiety. I don't like how I feel. I feel disappointment all the time. I feel disappointed by other people. I feel disappointed by God. I feel anxious all the time. I promise you, it's either your trust or your thoughts. And usually it's both. I, I love what, let me go through here, all the way through here, <laughs> what Philippians says. In Philippians 4, 6-7. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then, then, you experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. God is the source of peace. Peace, peace. He will give it to you. It comes, though, after you put your trust on him, and your thoughts are directed towards him. That's why we pray. That's why we read the scriptures. That's why we're in Christian fellowship. That's why we come to church, because it should affect our trust that affects our thoughts, or our thoughts that affect our trust. And if you're not doing either, don't be surprised if you're not having peace. But if you want peace, 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 put your hope in the Lord. Trust in him with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but it always acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It's not easy, but he will get you where you need to be based upon your trust and based upon your thoughts. And I want to direct both our trust and thoughts to the Lord together as we take communion together today. So would you get your communion cups out? Hopefully you received on the way in. I don't want this to be a perfunctory act where we just do it because we do it. No, 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 no. It is time to reaffirm our trust in Jesus. It is time to put our thoughts back on him. It is time to discover the peace that God longs to give us. And maybe it's just through communion today where you affirm that trust again and you put your thoughts back on him that you can discover that peace again and again and again. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to allow you to take communion when you're ready. I'm going to explain to you that this little wafer represents Christ's body, broken for you, and his blood, which has been shed for you, as a symbol of God's reconciliation with you. I don't want you to take this until you're ready. And what I mean by ready is that you look deep into your heart. What are you building your life on? Where is your worth and value coming from? What are you trusting in? 
And where are your thoughts directed at right now? You place those trust and that thought of those thoughts onto the Lord, and then you take this. Continue to do that over and over again throughout your week and see what happens. So whenever you're ready, you take it. Repeat after me in your heart. Jesus, I ask for forgiveness for all the ways that I lean on other people, on other things, or an unknown future instead of putting my whole trust in you. I affirm my belief and trust in you today, Jesus. And Lord, that I would direct my thoughts not on circumstances or fears or worries or anxieties or the things about people I don't like or the things that annoy me. I repent of the thoughts that allow me to be God of other people. And that my thoughts would be squarely on you. May my mind continue to directly go back to you and so I can discover the peace that you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes it's God's word that you need to hear. Sometimes it's communion. Other times you just need someone to listen and to pray for you. And so we have a prayer team lined up for you this morning. If you want someone to pray for you, all you need to do is just remain seated. Everyone else can leave and someone will be with you in the next few moments to pray with you today. Have a great Sunday.